welcome to Her Dark Materials Book Club. This is usually a podcast where we read and discuss His Dark Materials novels a chapter at a time, spoiler free. This, however, is a very special bonus episode where we're getting together with a friend to discuss the series as a whole. So if you have not read the books, it might be a good idea to listen later. In this episode, we're sitting down with actor and fellow podcaster Felix Trench, who you might have heard on podcasts such as Wooden Overcoats and Quid Pro Euro. Hi, Felix! Hello! Ah! Hi, Felix! <laughs> Cool. Thank you for being our first ever guest on our book club. Thank you for having me. Yay, we're so excited to talk to you. I've never been part of a... No, I've been part of one book club before in my life. When I was living in Brixton, I thought I should be part of a book club. It seemed like a thing to do, so I started going to one. And we had to read some book or other. It was an American book. (laughs) And I remember the cover, but nothing in it. And I remember it bored me to tears. So I went to about... Two meetings and then, I uh, know I was too embarrassed mm. uh, by not enjoying the book. <laughs> I've never done a book club before, which is weird because I read shitloads of books, but I've just never, I, th- I don't know, I think I might enjoy a book club. I mean, I feel like our podcast is a bit of a book club. That's very Between true. the two of us. Yeah. My mum's joined her first book club in her retirement. She's joined the village book club. There's three book clubs in our village run by different people and it's quite the like social experiment like lots of different are they competitive I, I feel like they read very different kinds of books she also she volunteers at a bookshop two days a week so she like has loads of time to sit and read the books and then like, quite often gets them really cheap when like and picks the next book for the book club because she's like well this was a pound in the bookshop so <laughs> i'm gonna suggest it we should get your and mum on the book club we should <laughs> She's been keeping an eye out for the His Dark Materials books because I won't lend Dad my copies because I'm obviously reading them at the moment and so Mum's been trying to find them for my dad to read them. Has she read them? She's read them. He hasn't. And he controversially really enjoyed the Golden Compass film. Oh, okay. I've never seen it, so I can't quite comment. Have you seen it? Yeah, I don't remember it very much. Mm. I remember that it's very beautifully designed. Mm. Yeah. Very pretty. All I've heard about, I remember it coming out, but I didn't read the His Dark Materials books until last year. Okay. So I remember it coming out, but I never saw it at the cinema. But all I've heard from Rich and from other people is that it's terrible. Well, it's sanitised. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. We're funded by a lot of uh, production companies with very religious views. <laughs> I see. Mm. I didn't know that about it. But certainly, I remember it coming out and then them, them you know, them, the man saying. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, that one. <laughs> the man, he spoke at the end of the film. Who like, <laughs> I know that you think you're going to get the credits, but here I am, the man. <laughs> <laughs> the man's here. Uh, uh, saying that they weren't going to do the others because it was just, it, it was what it was. It was death of god kind of stuff yeah i'm suddenly very up on reddit these days because of the dark materials reddit and And, um someone posted a really lovely editions of the books that they picked up and people were coming saying oh make sure you've got the uk editions not the american ones because there's american ones that are censored i didn't know there were censored editions of the books and now i really want to find them and do like a comparison oh my god the third one must be does it just not finish? I don't know. Not exist. Well, I don't know. I don't know in what way it's censored because it's not like there's any explicit content in the books, mm. particularly. I mean, I'm intrigued to find out. It's a Rich and I are going to New York in April. Do you think we could potentially find them? Like, are they still? You have to. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Are they still the same? Like, are they still the same copies? Did they ever like get changed back? To maybe the... it's just the amber spyglass that is censored. I... I Let's look it. into it. Do my due yeah. diligence and research and we'll find out. But yeah, I was just like, I read it and I was like, what? Do you There's think maybe it's the angels? Have you got the two gay angels? Oh, oh yeah. Maybe. Oh, two gay angels. I do love Balf. Is it Balfamos and Baruch? I mean, Baruch? you're asking the wrong person, Rich. It's something yeah, like that. Know. No, I, they're wonderful <laughs> characters. But yeah. Like, say, between them and something to do with the authority, those might mm, be yeah. where mm. it goes. It's true. Anyway. This brings full circle around to kind of where were you in your life when you first read the books and kind of how did they hit you? Because I know that when I first read them, all the religious shit just went straight over my head and I was like, animals Uh and cool stuff. I'd be intrigued to know where you were. Yes, I don't know how much of the religious stuff occurred to me. I probably need some of that explaining to me. Mm. I know that I was was about 14 when I read The Amber Spyglass. So you're kind of working back from there. And I had Northern Lights in paperback. And I had, I think it was the the original cover, the one with Yorix on it, and she's kind of bent over the Ooh. lithiometer. 
Um, have you brought yours with you? I I have not. Rachel's got a really well. Yours has got the Elysium, just the Elysiometer. Yeah, it's just the Elysiometer in as a big circle. No, so so that that's kind of fits in with the later covers. But there was the oh. earlier one back when. I think the British publishers said, no, you can't call it the Golden Compass, you have to call it Northern Lights. Right. And then they kind of changed it for the American ones and said, no, you can call it whatever you like, mate. And there's a really interesting bit on the Adam Bu- Buxton podcast where he chats to Philip Pullman about the naming convention and how um, Philip Pullman was a bit like, they got confused and thought that the Golden Compass was referring to the alethiometer, whereas actually it's referring to a line from Paradise Lost and God using golden compasses to map out the designs of... Oh. Um, of Eden and of the world and stuff. And so he was called the Golden Compasses. And then he, the, when the American publishers read it, they thought the Golden <sighs> Compass was the alethiometer and they got so attached to the idea that they refused to publish it without that name, mm-hmm. apparently. And Philip was just like, that's not what it so, means. Yeah. So was it, he was calling the whole series the Golden Compasses, right? Before yes. it was known as his Star Materials. That okay. was his name for the, like, the overarching... Uh, yeah, which works is like if you're thinking series, of it as yeah. like drawing and ge- geometric compasses, like drafting compasses. Yeah. And then yes. Amer- and then the American yeah. publishers are like, cool. So do we know what what the Golden Compasses quote is? Like, oh, I'm I'm not sure. It's de- it's definitely taken from Paradise Lost. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know like the ins and outs of it. I think I just looked into like. Why did they? Because uh, it's like with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and the Philosopher's Stone. I was like, why is there a change? Mm. Um, I'm intrigued as well if your edition of the first book is earlier than mine because we've been finding some publishing discrepancies between my books and Faye's. Okay. Yeah, where, for example, uh, Mark Oster, uh, her demon in the second time we meet her in my book is described as a big black dog or a big grey dog, and in Faye's book is just a hawk all the way through, and in my book oh. it goes hawk dog hawk. Yeah. I have no idea. I can't remember. But yeah. If yours edition's earlier than mine, maybe she's got a dog the whole time. Because yeah. <laughs> I've just got this version in my head where she has this great big Irish wolfhound mm-hmm. living on a canal boat. And I want that to be real because that dog would be so cumbersome. Mm. On, I mean, you live the boat life. I do live on a boat. <laughs> Can you imagine having an Irish wolfhound? I, mm, Irish wolfhound, I don't know about that. But I know a lot of people with dogs who okay. live in boats. And I, I knew a chap who, he doesn't live there anymore, but... He lived on a very small boat with, uh, I don't know if it was a Labrador, but it was Labrador-sized. Mm. I can imagine that being quite cosy. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed, my grandma would always tell me about the people, the first people that she knew that had a dog on the boat that got the dog life jacket with the handle on the top. Mm-hmm. So if the dog goes oh. over the edge, you can just grab it by the handle and pick it up like oh a handbag to get it out of the water. Oh. It, yeah, that makes my heart happy. Yeah. Can you use those for anything else? Can you use those for children? <laughs> I would imagine so. Because <laughs> you fish the dog out. Oh. Um, but yeah, I suppose we went off on a bit of a tangent there. But yeah, tell us. So you read The Northern Lights, uh, oh, The Amber Spyglass, sorry, when you Yeah, and I remember that one very crystally. I don't remember the first time I read the other two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had Subtle Knife and Amber Spyglass. Both of the my copies of those are hardback. Mm-hmm. And then Northern Lights, I have paperback. So I wouldn't have been among the, like, the very first mm. readers, but I would have been between 10 and 14 and getting them when they first came out for mm. th- those second two books. That's kind of the perfect age, I think, especially um, with the characters, the yeah. ages that they are. Because I always think about um, the generation that was able to read Harry Potter as it was coming out. That was my sister's Yeah, that was age me. That was, so he, yeah. he was always my age until... Yeah. The gap started yeah. growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And, then, uh, and then you found out that the whole thing was set in 1997. Yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. what? Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting because for me with Harry Potter, when those gaps started coming in with the publishing dates, that's when they became my age. So mm. like when it first came out, they were a little bit older than me. And then when it became years between them, I was like, oh, they're my age now. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Have you reread them then as an adult? Yes. Yeah. Yes, many times. Uh, not in the past... Mm, maybe three or four years, but I'm I am a re-reader of books, mm. yeah. and those are among the ones that uh, I've gone back to quite a few times. Have you delved into the audiobooks? No. Oh, I can highly recommend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've currently been um, when I didn't have time to read books or I was getting too stressed or sleepy when I was reading. I'd always go back to the audiobooks instead, and they're really well done. Okay, I like them a lot. The, some of the it was done as two audiobooks, I think, and one is kind of more of an audio drama vibe. And some of okay. the some of the voice choices are very interesting, <laughs> to say the least. All of the Egyptians are faintly Bristolian. 
for no But now, reason. so this is really interesting because I've I've never quite nailed down what accent he's writing in, and I've always assumed that there's some kind of native Oxfordshire accent that has faded or mostly faded today. But then the Egyptians have these faintly Dutch names, and yeah. there's these kind of um, connections with the Netherlands, I think, gets mentioned at one yeah, point, does, and how the yeah. Fen County kind of yeah. Yeah. connects that way. Yeah, it's very interesting. I definitely, I did, I, we ended up doing that chapter recently and yeah. did some research on it, and that's why you can find quite a few windmills in that area still of right. England. And it's, it's that kind of area is the bit where if the, if the map of the UK is a witch riding a pig, <laughs> that area is just... <laughs> right, accepted. Um, area... That's just it, right? That's just what it is, right? <laughs> uh, the area that is Fen Country is just underneath the witch's bum Yeah. before the pig's back starts. That's, that's Master and Margarita, which riding a pig. Is it? That happens, yeah. Oh. <laughs> is that... <laughs> It's a book I've literally just read oh, okay. and forced myself to read because <laughs> everyone kept saying you should read this book. And what in that they refer to? There's a uh, a scene in which a witch rides a pig. Oh, okay, amazing. Even it's just always been a thing I've that people like, referred to a map of England yeah. as a witch riding a pig. You said it to me, <laughs> and I was I'd never heard it. But we were recording when Rich mentioned it to me, and I was like. I've never heard that, but I know exactly what you mean, so I'm just yeah. going to carry on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. But it's interesting the point you made about the accents, because we spoke about that, because, uh, because I said, I don't understand, like, especially Lyra and um, the kids are, that are in Oxford. Hmm. They have, he's written them in an accent that, to me, sounds a bit cockney. Like it sounds when I was like Oliver it. Twist kind of level. Yeah. When she's like, oh, I ain't doing that. Yeah. It's very, like, the ent is what gets yes. me every time. I'm like, where, where is that? And yeah, and I, I can't like, hear anyone except for Oliver Twist saying, oh, yeah. But, so, so Oxfordshire is like technically Midlands, um, even if it's the home of RP. Yeah. Mm. And I, I wonder if there's uh, a crossover there and the kind of estuary to Midlands accent. Yeah, maybe. It could be. Yeah, I always wondered where it came from. I always put it down to one of those things that Philip Pullman is more clever than me about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when yeah, you yeah. get ambaric light and then you kind of look into it and you go, oh, right, amber electrum, or like chocolatl or march pain and all of these. Yeah. yeah, and you actually look it up and you go, oh, okay. Yeah. He's found a very clever way of picking yeah. something that was almost the big thing. Yeah. But didn't happen. And yeah, I, I very much enjoy the way that he writes the parallels between the different universes. And um, especially we always get it when we read a place name. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It was like New or High Brazil High was Brazil. the last one we read. And it was like, yeah. where's High Brazil? Where is High just, Brazil? Assuming it's in the northern regions of Brazil. Okay. <laughs> and then Britain yeah. was like, why? Yeah. Um, things like that. There's always stuff like every chapter we're always Googling loads of stuff. And it's like, I'll Google, <laughs> I'll Google it. And then I'd be like, oh no, that's just a Philip Pullman thing. That's not a right. real thing. Nothing comes up on Google. I'm like, okay, cool. That's but there's a map Pullman. out there, isn't there? I haven't seen it, if there is, but I have heard I this. I think there is a map, and you see things like America is properly New Denmark, and then underneath Texas is a huge country. Right, <laughs> right, right. Oh, nice. I like that. We need to fish that out. It might actually be in that book, so my friend bought me the His Dark Materials like encyclopedia, encyclopedia oh, thing. Oh, yes. I can see it. Yeah, that I haven't really looked through yet, mm -hmm. but we... I need to read Lyra's Oxford as well, which is very much like a rundown of... Oxford and how it exists in a lot of oh, that world stuff. I'm currently, I'm currently just existing on like the original trilogy yeah. and the half of the Vals of Arge that I've read, and mm -hmm. I'm yeah. feeling not very educated on a lot of it. But I imagine that'll change as we get further into the podcast. I'll have to start reading essays and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> It'll reach a point. <laughs> so, on your rereads, mm -hmm. has your understanding of the characters changed much, or like, did you identify with a character back when you were a teenager that? Maybe you identify with somebody else a bit more now, or like has it stayed the same? I think some characters became more prominent for me. Mm -hmm. uh, like one of, if not my favourite character, is Yorick. Oh, yes. And I don't know if that was the case originally. Right. I I can't imagine that what like nine year old me would have gone. Ah, oh, massive Scandinavian bear, my friend. <laughs> oh, you see, that's hundred percent what I would, would say. You? Like, <laughs> I want a polar bear to be my best friend. But also, I think as an annoying like 12 year old girl I was reading it and just being like I am Lyra like I'm definitely this like precocious little girl and like yes of course I'd have a polar bear be my best mate like <laughs> that sounds brilliant 
Whereas like I can imagine maybe reading it as a young boy not necessarily being like having that same like automatic connection to Lyra. Yeah, that, maybe. That I had. <laughs> um, I think I always, I struggled with the first one uh, and have done rereads in the same way that in a little bit I, I struggled with Belle Sauvage. Just as he's establishing the world building, he doesn't lay it on too thick and he doesn't insult you and he's sort of says, you are going to be able to keep up with this, don't worry. Mm -hmm. But as a 19-year-old, however old I was, there was a lot of Oxford College lore yeah. that mm. I didn't understand, and that was not my world. Yeah. Like, yeah. I grew up in a very different environment to that, and just when people are talking about the master and people sitting in gowns, presumably, or mm. large groups of men talking about Stanislas Grumman and all of that, that's stuff that I've loved later on and mm. enjoyed it for what it is. But I can't imagine that young me would have been yeah. on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I read them last year, and before we started reading them for the podcast again. And I kind of skimmed over all that stuff because I, I wasn't, it wasn't the bits that interested mm -hmm. me. So like the first maybe two or three chapters of Northern Lights, it's quite heavily that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I remember starting to read it and Rachel was like, how are you, how are you doing with it? And I'm like, oh, it's like, loads of bits that I don't understand. And like, I'm just not interested in. Cause I There's kind just of- like two, three paragraphs on one, like a full page in this second chapter where it's like, the Tartars are invading Tuscany yeah. and yeah. all of these different things. And you're just like, I don't know what any of this means. And it sounds like a history book. Yeah. Like yeah. next. But then but like then, delving yeah. into it for the podcast and like, obviously we, we talk more in detail about everything that's happening. So then, it's kind of given me the space to be like, oh, I don't understand what that means. Maybe, like, Rich and I can talk about that and see what we both think it means. Or, like, we can do some research on it and stuff. So I'm enjoying those bits better because I'm, I'm, I've am i got more of an understanding of them now. And you have an excuse to be like, I don't understand that. I'll go Google it. Yeah. Whereas, mm -hmm. like, when you're reading a book normally, you definitely don't, like, reach a word. You don't necessarily... You just skim over it if you don't get it. But this, so this to me, is yeah. how books happen like if mm -hmm. you don't know a thing you find out about it or you assume that it'll be okay and it's something that always we talked about the american changes mm. something always frustrated me when i learned that that happened that those publishers were not trusting their audience could go out and find out about this yeah. stuff mm. yeah they're like kind of underestimating the audience which yeah. is like i'm pretty sure americans can work out what a philosopher is yeah, like, it doesn't, like to, you don't need yeah. to say it's a wizard, it's a sorcerer's yeah. stone, it's yeah. a wizard's stone, like, I'm pretty sure they'll get it eventually, like, yeah. it explains what it is later in the book. But they did further changes within yeah. the books, didn't they? Like, totally. tips become dumpsters, jumpers yeah, yeah. become sweaters. sweaters yeah. it's, just, it's just, what's the, what's the point? People half the charm stupid. of the books is that, especially I think for a lot of American readers, is that, it, oh, it is so quintessentially mm. British, you're mm. just like, well, it's not if you're reading the version that has But I've seen it done the other way. Oh, really? I've seen it done once. A friend of mine recommended a book, I can't remember what it was called, it was uh, some young adult series, and I read about half of it, and one thing that kept tripping me up was I bought it through Amazon UK mm -hmm. on my Kindle, and I got the kind of British Britishized British, Anglicised, Britishised. What size? UK. <laughs> I got the UK version. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where they'd thrown a lot of British words in instead of the American words. And mm. it it was quite discombobulating because I can centre myself in America world. I can centre myself in Britain yeah. world. I don't need to have my hand held in that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it, ta it takes you out of the location that you're in like was the book was the book set in an American yeah. or was it just in a generic it could be anywhere place like, I think it was American high schoolers doing American high school why things. would they be talking about jumpers <laughs> no, exactly <laughs> right and bins right. yeah that's the thing <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh while we're on characters what do you think so, so we've got a bit of a heated debate about Lord Asriel what are your thoughts on Lord Asriel as in goody or baddie yeah mmm um, I mean, we know it's not black and white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's sort of the point of Philip Pullman, yeah, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. To go, hey folks, this is, here's this idea of Shades of Grey. Mm. His motivations are wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, he is a selfish man. And ultimately, I think you can't, you can't get away from the fact that he, he's basically, he's insulted his daughter and put a lot of her development second to his own ambitions. Mm -hmm. In the moment... His instincts are good, as in he will look out for her. 
he is in some ways a loving father. Hmm. I think he's an asshole. <laughs> I truly do. <laughs> so I agree with you. There are those moments where yeah. he he does share that side of himself, but I think especially because we're so close to the beginning at the minute, and we in the first fucking chapter or the second chapter, he like fucking nearly breaks nearly her breaks Lyra's arm, and he's like really like oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. So like um, when, when she's hiding in the uh, closet in the first uh, first chapter, and he finds her in there, uh-huh. and he tells her to like fuck off basically he like grabs her by the arm and it says that he nearly breaks her arm oh and he's like really brutal with her and yeah and then there's we just read the bit when mark Oster obviously takes on lyra after asriel has shot ed coulter uh-huh. and he's like dancing around in like fucking ed coulter's blood like with lyra like and then tells mark Oster to clean it up and i'm like fuck this guy <laughs> <laughs> you definitely get so i've gone from reading the books the first time around especially seating myself in Lyra's position, it is like, oh, cool uncle, cool uh-huh. uncle Asriel, he's come back from like all his adventures and he's got all these cool stories and all this cool shit and he's kind of mysterious, like, oh, cool uncle. So like reading it as a grown up and being like, oh my God, he's this person's father. He's a responsible adult and he's being really brutal to this child and he's being really selfish and like the way that he talks to her sometimes and like a lot of the way that he's acting is like, you're a full grown man, like you can't act this way and think that you're going to get away with it. How the hell entitled are you? And then you kind of go, he's very entitled. Yeah, he's a lot. <laughs> but it's definitely changing my opinion as we read through and you yeah. kind of go, mm, he's a very selfish man, mm. very much so. How do you feel in terms of villains as well about Mrs. Coulter? Because I know that a lot of people, especially with the new TV series, yeah. Ruth Wilson's portrayal has perhaps brought a lot more humanity to the role than we've seen before. She is, I mean, she is meant to come across as evil, Mm -hmm. and she does very evil things in full knowledge of what she is doing to the children that she kidnaps. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Very true. Again, she is... She isn't without humanity. She does care about Lyra. Like, I think that that is the point with both of them is it is possible to have these two streams to, in your mind, a, a good human in the world and to get it not just wrong, but so far wrong. <laughs> Catastrophically wrong. I wonder if they're portrayals of uh, that kind of Machiavellian idea of the ends justifies the means, whether mm. that's where they're supposed to sit. Yeah as opposed to, to Lyra and Will, who they have this whole thing about you read the Elethiometer by Grace and now you're growing up, but they kind of, they exist within a completely unplanned state. They've been, well, I guess we kind of go, they've been chosen. Lyra's been part of a prophecy before mm. she was even born, probably. Whereas like Mrs. Coulter and Lord Asriel, well, we know that Asriel was like stripped of his title and stripped mm-hmm. of his value. He had to work quite hard grind to get to where he is to fulfil those ambitions. And I think Mrs. Coulter's had to do the same. And so they are very selfishly driven. Mm-hmm. Whereas I guess Lyon Will, the greatness is thrust upon them. Mm-hmm. They've not sought it out. It's just kind of happened. And whilst Lyra is quite an entitled little girl, it is a very different motivations. And I guess they've got a lot more innocent motivations because they are children when yeah. the books start out. Yes, they're yeah. discovering what it is to be adults. Yeah, yeah definitely. which is part of what I, I love about the books, especially having kind of listened to what Philip Fullman thinks about uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and the, the Chronicles of Narnia. What does he think about them? He bloody hates them and does it's he? brilliant. <laughs> Because the message is it's better to die than to grow up because essentially, if anyone's not read The Chronicles of Narnia, like, eh. But like, essentially, (laughs) all the kids die so they can live in Narnia forever because it's better to die than to grow up. They all die in a train crash and then go back to Narnia, basically. When's Narnia written? Is that pre-war? Or is it wartime? Well, the kids are evacuees in the books. That's how they end up in the big house in the first book. So is it between the wars? Presumably. I would, ooh, well, I, I know that um, they, they all frequented the same pub, didn't they? Um, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and... Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've been there. It's fine. The, the Eagle and Crown? <laughs> Is it Eagle and Crown? Uh, Eagle yeah, they, uh, the Eagle and Child, maybe? Eagle and Child. Because I think they call one. it the Bird and Baby. Yes. Oh. Uh, it's a sort of chain pub with a nice older bit in uh, it. Yeah, okay. it's all right. We went and sat on a table in there one time and we were like, oh... Cool. Where is it? Uh, Oxford. It's near one of the parks. Oh, okay. But I know that Pullman is quite derisive of the whole idea of like, especially because the Chronicles of Narnia are laced with a lot of 
Aslan is Jesus and mm. all of that kind of stuff. A lot of the very thinly veiled religious motives and stuff throughout the books. And I think the way that Pullman's written Lyra and Will growing up and the point about growing up is good and dust being this original sin is it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have motivations. It's yeah. just this is what it is. And I re- I love the story that's told through dust as well, especially reading through the books that we're at the moment, the way that Lyra is discovering mm. about Dustin, about the Alethiometer, and then um, finding out about one of my favourite character arcs is Mary in mm. yeah. The Amber Spyglass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I wish that we'd met her, we meet her earlier because I want I want to know about her life as a nun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and about her relationship with Dust and finding out yeah. about it as a character in itself is really interesting to think about. Mm. You mentioned Will, and controversially, when I read the books last year, I and that the Soul Knife is, was my favorite of them, and I remember saying to you, I think I like Will better than Lyra, and I'm interested to see if that changes when we read them for the podcast because we've had a couple of people email us and say, do you think that uh, Will and Lyra's relationship in the Soul Knife is a little bit patriarchal in the sense that when Lyra loses the alethiometer, she basically just does everything that Will says and how do we feel about that and she literally says to him at one point like I'll do whatever you say I'll be the most obedient person you've ever met and it's like and (laughs) I feel like it's strange for me to not pick up on that when I read it but I really didn't so I'm looking forward to reading it again but I fucking loved Will I really loved his character and where I'm going with this is what are your thoughts on like Will and Lyra and their like relationship I hadn't picked up on that either. Mm. Uh, now that you mention it, that sounds gross. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think it ever comes from him. I think it, a lot of it kind of comes from Lyra, and perhaps that's why you But I don't know where that comes him. from in her character. Yeah, right, yeah. I, she's always... I suppose historically her friends have tended to be boys around Will's age, mm. and maybe she feels trust there, but she's always been the one in charge. Yeah. So why would he change that yeah. specifically is it I dynamic read a theory that kind of helped solidify what I thought about it and it is at the point that Lyra meets Will she has just made some of the worst decisions she's ever made in her life she's just taken her best friend in the whole world mm-hmm. to his death yeah and she's trusted Lord Asriel and spent her the whole of the last novel she spent trying to get to him and he's betrayed her. He's betrayed everything and all of her trust. She doesn't know who to trust. Mm-hmm. And then she meets this boy that the alethiometer says is a murderer mm-hmm. and that she can trust him. And she like is like, okay, I feel safe with him because I know he can protect me physically. And that's kind of part of the patriarchal values that have been imbued in her by the society she's grown up in. Yeah. Like, let's face it. Jordan seems like a pretty patriarchal place to grow up. And um, I think she's kind of just gone, all the decisions I've made have been really, really bad. And the one thing that I've been able to trust this whole time is the alethiometer and it's saying to trust him, to trust Will. And so Mm. I'm I'm just going to do that. Like, I I can't make any more decisions. The last decision I made went really, really badly. I'm just going to take a backseat for like a hot minute. Yeah. And, and she, I, like, I quite like that reading. And she probably needs a fucking break, right? What, she's like yeah. 12 years old and yeah. like, she's just, like you said, seen her best friend die and her dad like, betray her mm. and then, then she's met this guy that, like you said, the alethiometer says she can trust and it's like, if that was me as a child, even now I'd be like, fuck this. You like, take the reins, mate. <laughs> you do yeah. it. I'm fucking done. What do you think about Will in general as a character? Oh, I love Will. I think both of them have had to grow up before their time and in a way he much more so because she was allowed a childhood of a sort in fact more than a childhood she was kind of allowed a childhood without real lessons Mm -hmm. without real structure Mm. whereas he has gone through school as we know it in presumably the 90s while also being a full-time carer to someone with a severe case of OCD so like he's a great character what I really remember from Subtle Knife though is the locations. It's Sitagas yes. for me. Which is, like, that was one of my favourite places to hang out in and learn more about mm-hmm. this sort of, is it Mediterranean? Is it South American? Yeah. We know that the continents have all shifted around a bit and they don't line up properly because of all the windows that are open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they do the the voices, what's the Sitagas accent? Oh, I don't know. It's been so long since I've listened to the okay. second audiobook. Oh, we'll, we'll let you know. I remember <laughs> they say A quite a lot. There's this, like, almost faux Italian. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm pre- <laughs> In general, the children's voices seem to just, they just err on the side of, like, 
gimmicky and annoying. Okay. <laughs> um, so like, little, is it Angelica in City Girls? The little girl like that, yeah. and her little brother. I think her brother's called Paolo, maybe. Which makes me feel like maybe Italian kind of vibes from that place. The uh, audiobook has really helped us with pronunciation of names and places and stuff because we are fucking terrible at that every every name i come across i'm like but then also i hear it on the audiobook and then i read it on the paper and what however they just pronounced it goes out of my head (laughs) and i slip back into like however i've been mispronouncing it in my head well if you remember like i i I assume you mentioned james mcavoy so i assume you've seen the tv series i've seen the about half of it okay cool so in one of the earlier episodes james mcavoy or azriel calls Pan pantalimon, and mm. I remember we had a conversation about this, didn't we? And I was like, "Do you say pantalimon or pantalimon?" And I read it as pantalimon. Same. Yeah. Yeah, I it, said pantalimon. Yeah, and when he said it, I was like, "Oh, this is really strange it's to me." I'm like, "We'll just, just say pan. It's fine. Just leave it pan." But I think that's okay, isn't it? Yeah. To have your own yeah. reading of character names, like the uh, I remember what, there were a lot of things in the TV I series. I definitely always read Iraq as Iraq. Because like reading it, especially right, as, a, yeah. as a younger child, you're yeah. not gonna. I think get... I said Irek as well, yeah. and I might have and then, changed at some point. Yeah, rereading or like watching the show, and they do just call him Yorick. I'm like, it, mm. it does make sense. And like, as a twelve year old, I can forgive myself for not thinking about how a Scandinavian name might be yeah. pronounced yeah. by a Scandinavian person. Yeah, yeah, reading it again now, I might attempt to like rethink the way that I've been reading things because I'm quite a lazy reader. I just assume it's spelt pretty phonetically yeah. and go from there <laughs> which is definitely not the case mm. so you've seen half the tv series yes i think i got as far as bolvanja what are your thoughts on it so i think far? it's a really good adaptation yeah, and it's okay. a, a really good argument for faithful adaptations mm. with a good script editor have you if you're bolvanja have you seen uh, lin-manuel miranda as yeah. scoresby oh my god yeah, he's really I good. I can love him so much. <laughs> uh, we do. We did uh, episodes on the TV show as well when okay. they were in, and I just could not stop talking about. Have they developed his character a bit? I feel like they have. They've seemed yeah. to have um, pushed a lot harder on his and Lyra's relationship okay. than what I remember. From and the him books. being quite like cheeky and mm. funny. Like they seem to give him like More of him a and Yorick like, like the yeah. yeah like the comic relief in the TV show. But yeah, we were talking about I loved Lynn, uh, but he, that's kind of seen a bit of backlash from people that have uh, always imagined because I suppose in the books he's described as being a bit of an older man. Oh, he, he's yeah. not as he is in the books. In the books he's oh, Ed Ed Thingy who's the older black hat guy in Westworld. Oh, I haven't watched Westworld. Um, I know that is. Yeah, okay. I haven't watched Westworld. Yeah. Um, but like, absolutely don't know if it's mentioned that he's tall, thin and grizzled, but that's mm. how I always yeah. saw him. I thought the casting, good casting. for the yeah. film was quite bang on for what I think I imagine Scorsby uh-huh. to be like in my head, which is, yeah, white-haired, kind of like mustachioed, mm-hmm. very like, not generic Texan, but very like cow- cowboy-esque. Again, like imagining it as a child, you hear Texan and a very particular yeah, image comes to sure. mind, and then they describe him as yeah, like a little bit older mm. or maybe more like grizzly. And like, I, yeah. but it, across the board, it's quite imaginative casting, and I I love the the casting mm. uh, work that's gone into that series. It's not, it's a bit namey, but it's not names for the sake of names, and they are in very sensible positions mm. throughout, and mm. they don't drive it either. Yeah. I remember when it got announced that uh, Ruth Wilson was playing Mrs. Coulter, I remember saying to you, Rich, I was like, they fucking nailed that. I was like, I don't even need to see her do it. I know that she's going to do an amazing mm. job. Mm. It's so uh, her. Like, she's played a lot of really good roles in her time being an actress, but it, it just fits in with that idea that I have of Ruth Wilson in my head anyway. And like I was like, God, this is amazing. I don't even need to watch it. Yeah. I know it's Also, I was just like, yes, brunette Coulter for the yeah. win. <laughs> oh, that was another difference in one of our books. So in Rachel's book, it she says... She has dark hair. She has dark hair. Mm. And in my book, she has blonde hair. Oh. Mm. And apparently, uh, we looked it up, and apparently uh, Philip Pullman liked Nicole Kidman's performance so much in The Golden Compass that he changed the hair colour of Mrs. Coulter in the books that Which came is- out after that. Outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> and also just a big faff, right? Like, and also, like, you love it so much. Did you really like her portrayal that much? <laughs> I mean, I can't, can't not comment. I was not a Coulter fan in the movie. Like, I just, 
I, I felt really betrayed. In my head, she pretty much could have just been played by Dita Von Teese for me. She's just this like femme fatale, like beautiful dark haired person that's so alluring and so sweet and all of this kind of stuff. And then like pure cold, sto like stone cold on the inside and like rock solid and really like strong. And then they just put dainty little Nicole Kidman up there and I was like, no, just why? I think one of the real strengths of the TV show, Mrs. Coulter, is her ability to turn that on. Mm. Like she is very clearly an actress as a person yeah. who can play the Mrs. Coulter that's described uh, in that, that kind of Nicole Kidman-y way, but only when she's in the right audience and she needs that. Mm. And that I think they drew the parallels to... Lyra's innate lying and again picking a different character for different audiences in the way that she does really cleverly mm, yeah I agree with that and like we were saying earlier really good to see more of a human side of Mrs. Coulter mm -hmm. because I think in the books you do end up seeing that but I think especially the first book you're seeing really you're seeing everything through Lyra's eyes and Lyra can't see that in her so you don't see it in the book but as soon as we started watching the TV show and like you just see like maybe a hint of like Ruth Wilson like mm. looking a tiny bit upset or a tiny bit flustered, you're like, oh my gosh, mm. this is amazing. She's a human. Yeah, <laughs> right? And the monkey. Do you think she's done animal work? I feel like she's quite monkeyish mm. in the way that she moves. Especially, yes. so when, have you reached, if you've reached Bolvanger, you know the bit with the elevator when she's attacking the guy in the corridor. Uh, don't remember it if I've seen it. But yeah, there's a very, there's a moment there where she's hitting someone. Basically, she looks like an ape the way she's mm -hmm. attacking the person. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's so good. And there's other bits later on, isn't there, where she um she jumps and she like lands like a monkey. Mm -hmm. And we were like, what the fuck? This is amazing. But maybe I would. She's I done many surprised. a thing in her time. But it's interesting the way that they draw the parallels between her and the uh, monkey in the TV show because mm -hmm. you don't really see that with any of the other characters. See, I wonder if that comes from her, the actress, whether she didn't do that as part of character prep and thought, I'm going to push yeah. this. Yeah, it's maybe. a fun thing to do. And then play it happened with. and everyone went, ooh, Ruth, <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? And she's we like, like it. you're welcome. <laughs> Back to the books. Mm -hmm. Do you have, in any of the books, a favourite moment or a favourite... Yeah, absolutely, and Ooh. I've never yeah. <laughs> known why. Generally, I enjoy the bits where we, where we leave Britain mm -hmm. more than the bits in Britain, and that's the same with the Book of Dust books. Mm -hmm. As soon as we leave Britain, I go, ah, we're off, great. Yeah. For me, the bit that always sticks in my head is, I think the chapter's called Vodka in the third book. Mm -hmm. It's where Will is on his own. He's in a river somewhere in Russia, and he's on a houseboat it just meets like a russian priest or someone the russian priest goes i think you need to try vodka i think that's the thing that needs to happen in your life right now <laughs> yeah and he I remember grabs it. some vodka and goes here we go let's drink some vodka well and there's there is no need for that chapter <laughs> but it's such a wonderful character but moment. you really cannot remember it I, brilliant. it's funny because like i was saying earlier like i re i'm really forgetful but as soon as she said vodka i was yeah. like i know that chapter I was we like, will I know it. would you like to come and guest when we reach that chapter sure your favorite chapter it'll be a while <laughs> it'll be three years down the line <laughs> But oh, yeah, that's, great. that's brilliant. I it's com I completely can't even remember it. And on favourites, do you have a favourite demon? Hmm, I like the... I mean, it's, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a clever answer, but like, it's, it's Pam. Oh, it's always um, going to be Pam. But of the non-Pam demons, mm. uh, the witch's demons are pretty cool. Mm. Mm -hmm. I like it whenever Lyra has a chat with someone's demon rather than having a chat with them. Yeah. That's a really fun thing. You were outraged in the TV show, weren't you, about... They made Seraphina Peckler's demon like a, a snow hawk instead of a goose. He's supposed to be a bloody goose. <laughs> I was really annoyed. So mad like, about it. He, like... Do you think it's because geese are inherently a bit silly? <laughs> That's what we said, isn't it? I was and like, a bit terrifying. Do you think he'd be a bit stupid? Like, it's just it really annoying because maybe they're hot, like they're probably harder to animate. They've got like ridiculous necks and <laughs> oh, maybe. ten like they are known for being a bit evil, but like. I just I love the image of him being like this bloody massive goose and he's just not. <laughs> but he's I think he's one of my favourite demons. I don't know if I have a favourite demon. I like the monkey. You like the monkey? <laughs> well like monkey is the prick. wrong word, I suppose. Yeah, he is a little monkey prick. Do you think it's weird that the monkey never speaks? Mm. Mm. 
I, and he, he's never given a name. Mm, he's never true. named throughout the books and he was named in one of the audio dramas purely for the sake of it being an audio drama and it helped mm. to know who Coulter was addressing when she spoke to her demon. But um, I don't think Pullman ever approved of that name, so in my head he's still nameless. Mm. In the TV series, she abuses him, doesn't she? Yes, very slightly. Does that happen in the books? I can't remember it happening in the books. I mean, Rachel Cause it, I don't well, remember it in best. the books. I, I know that, because I've just reached a point in La Belle Sauvage where somebody hits their demon. Right. And, and it's so bloody shocking. In mm. the books, when you're reading it, you're like, I feel like Pullman hasn't written this before because he's writing it so intense right now. So yeah. I feel like if it does happen in the books, it's only in the sense of the tenseness of their relationship mm-hmm. and we never see it physically happen. I wonder if that was retconned then yeah. from mm-hmm. what happens in... Belle Sauvage, because they use the opening to Belle Sauvage to the TV show. Yes. So clearly they went, we have more information and this can happen. And Mm. whether that's an extension of self-loathing or something else. Mm. It's very interesting. I really like the way in the TV show they've kind of... Because in the books, the monkey is so bloody evil. I always think back to the bit I remember being like, you were reading the books and I kind of almost spoiled for you the bit when the monkey sat in the cave catching bats and ripping their win- mm, wings off. Yeah. So I was like, that fucking little monkey prick. <laughs> it's just so evil and the coldness in his eyes and the way that he like almost twists mm. Pan's ear off and all this stuff. And um, yet in the TV series, there's this like hurt in his face sometimes and sympathy in his face when she she does like give him a little hit or she is just does just like tell him to like fuck off sometimes and you see him really upset yeah there's one bit where uh though i can't remember what episode it is but they're like walking down um the stairs like wherever the main bit of the the magisterium is and he her hands like dangling by her side and he like reaches up to grab her hand and she like hits it away and his little face and i was like oh god feel sorry for this evil fucking monkey. And it's like, oh no. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I like, I think the reason why like is a strange word, but it's probably my favourite demon because there's so much mystery around mm-hmm. it. And we never find out, unless we're going to find out in these newer books, like what the deal is and why the monkey's like that. It's also one of the few that we get a lot of page time with. I was going to mm. say screen time there. You get Pan, you get... I'd say the Golden Monkey gets maybe the second most. Yeah, yeah. Then you've got maybe... Stella Maria, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I guess I guess Kaiser gets a lot of time. Which one's Kaiser? The Seraphina's Goose Geek okay. demon. And then... I don't think we get many other witches' demons. I guess there's a few Egyptian demons, but they never say much. Does Will's demon have a name? Yes. I can't uh... remember what it is, though, right? And does is it given by Seraphina? Yeah. Ooh. Is it given Ooh. by Seraphina or is it given by her demon? Well, I'm not sure. Because also, I was, I was reading. Kinsh. Kinshasa's a place in Kenya. <laughs> Shall I go? I'm just yeah, going to Google it. Okay. <laughs> not Kilimanjaro. <laughs> oh, come on. Why is it not coming up as the first thing? It's okay. It's Kavaja. Oh. With a K. Mm-hmm. It definitely begins with a K. Hang <laughs> on. Oh no. The internet's not been invented no, in this reality. Really not. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yes! Yeah, yeah. Kajava. Kajava. Yeah, Kajava, Nearly. yeah. Uh, she's named by, you're right, Seraphine Pekula. Oh. Yeah. Nice. So I was reading a few things of people theorising like this, never fully explained necessarily where demons get their names from. Because mm-hmm. like, some of the names are really odd mm. to have necessarily come from those parents, especially as all the people seem to have very peoply names and the demons do tend to have quite unusual and interesting names. And uh, someone suggested that the parents' demons name the child's demon. Yeah, I think mm. Philip Pullman confirmed that. Oh, did he? Yeah, That's I think I saw a tweet some. I like that a lot. Yeah, also, just nice. imagine Stella Maria and the monkey getting together to, like, discuss pans. Oh! Potentially. <laughs> How weird is Well, that? that's interesting then. So, think about Mrs. Coulter and Azriel. Did that? Did Stel Maria ever talk to the monkey? What was that relationship like? Presumably, presumably very tense, right? <laughs> and intense. Well, like, did the monkey? Like, does the monkey actually speak, and we just don't hear it? Like, no, but I think there is a scene where the two of them are together, and right. the demons get quite sexy. It's Ooh, at the end of the Northern Lights, and yeah. it's talking about Coulter and Azriel getting kissy, and they're talking about the monkey like raking his. Yes, horned fingers it. through the <laughs> snow leopard's fur. Oh my god, amazing. It's, amazing. yeah. Because I remember it happening in the TV series mm. when we reached that point and just thinking, they didn't get as sexy as they could. And I know why. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's too strange for me. <laughs> oh yeah. god. We, we kind of touched on 
La Belle Sauvage and Secret Commonwealth. And we won't go too much much into mm. it because Rich is only halfway through the Belle Sauvage. But spoiler free, what are your thoughts on those two newer books? I enjoyed both very much. Um, I shut myself away for, I think, a day and just read the whole of um, Secret Commonwealth. Oh my god, it's fucking massive as well. Which I've not done in a while. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I felt like... I felt like I was eating a book. <laughs> uh, it had all of the Philip Pullman stuff that I love. As I said, the kind of leaving the UK, the, the creating and elaborating on the world outside, which in a lot of our modern popular media is not really that interesting. Uh, it's not a th- We see a lot of, especially Brits and Americans... If they're in another setting, it exists as a setting for those people to be exotic in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we might go to France and have... I don't know, the Simpsons used to parody this and it'd be like, The Simpsons go to Canada! Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, whereas I think Philip Bowman is much better at creating these places as, as real, full worlds that he's really mm. considered. And that, to me, was incredibly enjoyable. They're pretty upsetting, like, <laughs> again, trying not to give too much away. And mm-hmm. it certainly deals with... It goes to big, dark places that he has been criticised for. And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I'm waiting to see what happens in the third book, yeah. really. Because I feel like... I, I feel safe in his hands. And I feel like he has a plan. Yeah. Do you feel like the level that the books have gotten darker is perhaps just because he's going, okay, well, if I wrote the first books to age up with the, with you know, if you're reading it when you're Lyra and Will's age, when you're first reading it, how old are you now? However many years maybe. later, it's written for you, not for the maybe. Lyra and Will. And maybe kids. there's, like, if the first books are, it's okay to be an adult, then maybe there is a theme that he's been thinking about that goes through the next three, because it's been, what, 20 years that he's been working on them? (laughs) The next theme is, it's definitely not okay to be an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Being an adult is really hard. (laughs) Everybody go cry. (laughs) He seems to be very interested in, well, the secret commonwealth, in in the kind of magic in everyday life, and Mm -hmm. really exploring the boundaries of what he set up as a fun thing in the first three books. Yeah. And he does it again in a way where at no point do you feel like he's giving you all the answers, but that maybe there's a sort of codex here and it's up to the reader mm. to work it out in that same, like, what is chocolate kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's very true. You have to hurry up and read them, Rich. <laughs> okay, we're talking about how much you love stepping out of Britain yeah. into other worlds. Let's get into the Amber Spyglass and yes. what the heck is going on <laughs> with the... Is it... Do you say Mulefa? 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 I say Mulefa. Yeah, Mulefa. And the bird-like beings. Yeah, mystery evil... Evil swans. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is swan, evil, swans and geese. I, I imagine Swanish anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. And maybe it's just because swans can swanish, be dicks yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, the... the, the, the Water dick birds that are evil. Yes. But there's so <laughs> yeah. many wonderful worlds in the Amber Spyglass. You yeah. get to hang out in Heavenland and yeah. also ancient Greek um, Deathland. And oh God, I bloody love it. I love that so much, yeah. The, the I, yeah. world where your death just lives in the same house as you and just kind of chills out with you and everybody's so close yeah. is like, oh God, it hits home in so many ways yeah. and it's so... And Lyra finding out that her death is there somewhere, it's just out of politeness staying back and you're like yeah Ooh, i think that's my favorite so talking about favorite bits actually i think that although the subtle knife is my favorite book i think that might be my favorite bit in the whole series but perhaps this is again part of what he's talking about if it's a lot of it is accepting mm. that being an adult is okay then yeah. it's accepting that part of being an adult is death and yeah. part of or Very challenging true. your beliefs or whatever it might be or riding around on wheel pods yeah <laughs> <laughs> Again, bloody like cannot wait to see how the hell they tackle yeah, yeah, yeah. that. I wonder if they decided not to do the second and third movies was because somebody read the third book and went, guys, we do not have the budget. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody knows how this shit looks. Like, 
I definitely, at no point reading the books, had a clear image of what the heck I thought they looked like, other yeah, than a bit I, elephanty. Yeah, a bit elephanty with wheels is like the only yeah. thing that I could kind of like just put together in my head. Physically, cannot. Oh, like, I think I I've got them as a bit of sort of antelopey. Isn't uh, it? They've Except that they've got of, diamond backs. The, yeah, diamond shaped, and somehow they they definitely communicate and use mm. a, a trunk like thing for talking and yes, you're stuff. Yes. There's some yeah. kind of because I know that Mary has to use her hand mm. when yeah. she speaks yeah. to try and communicate. But oh my god, that whole world is is bananas. I love it, and I just can't even imagine picturing it. I ca- I keep trying to find fan art and stuff of like people that have tried oh, yeah. to, to draw them. That some of them are brilliant and hilarious. Oh wow! <laughs> but like, yeah, goddamn. And let's talk about spectres. Oh. oh my goodness. Yeah. Because reading through one of the chapters in the first books, I only just made a connection. That I think. Maybe I was supposed to get the whole time. But um, Tony Costa is telling Lyra a bunch of stories of like weird spirits and things that happen in the North. And like, it all sounds a lot like just general cryptid and folk tales. But he talks about something called windsuckers that are an apparition y shimmer in the air that when it touches you, all energy goes out of your body and you're frozen on the spot. Uh, Reading that while thinking harder about it, probably because of the podcast, I was like, oh my God. Does that mean that some spectres from the land of Sitigazi have mm. potentially come into the north, potentially, mm. especially the north, because of that? Well, where presumably they would be everywhere because yeah. every time you open a window, you make a spectre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, always, when I read it, compared them to Dementors in Harry yeah. Potter because yeah. I grew up reading Harry Potter and obviously didn't read these books. So, like, Rich has to put up with me every time we go through a chapter. And I'm like, oh, that reminds me of that being Harry Potter or blah, blah, blah. And I was yeah, like, but those were the two big properties yeah. at the same time. They were, like, um, the late 90s, early noughties. Mm. I definitely read series. these more than Harry Potter and you definitely read, well, just Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, Spectre's definitely Dementors, right? That, mm. As soon as I read that, I was like, yeah, it's just like... But then Dementor. I love the parallels that are drawn between Will's mom and the way that she struggles with her, all her mental health stuff and the way that people go into that zone when they're trying to avoid the spectres of um, counting bricks. The guy, when he's trying to, like, ignore that the spectre's coming for him and getting him and he's counting the bricks on the side of the building and I know that it's something that Will's mum does on a regular basis is counting bricks in buildings. And There's all these little parallels that you run through and just be like, could the stuff that's going on with Will's mum be a little bit more magical than we think it is? Like, is it... Well, not magical, but, like, more... And yeah, it's no, just... but I think magical is a good word. And yeah. Again, I, I think that's as I said. What he's now trying to explore is yeah. the limits of the imagination and and truth, mm. and like the magical stuff and everyday stuff that you yeah. might not tie in yeah. with what you like. Why magic to be? Our world doesn't have demons, and world world clearly, do- uh, Lyra's world clearly does, mm-hmm. and it seems to have many more of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Than we do. And also, how does Mrs. Coulter control the spectres? <laughs> I love the idea that she's just so persuasive. Because this is also part of the discussion we keep having. She's so magnetic that everybody she seems to come into contact with, she seems to have this charm over them, even to the point where somehow she's controlling the spectres at a certain point, which seem to be this force that like nobody can go near mm. them, and yet she's walking among them and telling them to attack people. Yeah, And you're like, is there something special about Mrs. Coulter? Do we think she's magically charismatic, or is she just <laughs> she's bloody, eaten so many she's children? Just bloody <laughs> <brain>. <laughs> yeah, again, it's does that she thing, just not it? have a soul for them to attempt to suck like mm-hmm. a dementor? Not that that's necessarily what they do. do is it, <laughs> she's just so bloody she's cold. Too, yeah, she's too evil. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she's sort of, in a way, kind of childlike. Mm. Yeah, I guess because all people say that all children are psychopaths at a certain age mm. until they, they learn more of a sense of other people. That could definitely be her. That could apply to a lot of the adults in these books. <laughs> Very true. We always want to know as well. We always we do that at the beginning of our podcast every week. We say what what we think our demon would would have been uh-huh. a particular week, and we have our so my demon altogether is a duck. Rich is a cat. Yeah. But then at the, beginning, yeah, okay. at the beginning of each episode, we'll say, like, oh, how have we been feeling in this last week? What do we think our demon is? So if like, your demon could still change, what yeah, yeah. Uh, been? So, question to you what do you think your demon is as an adult? Uh-huh. And if in the past week, what do you think your demon would be if it could still change? That's Interesting. Uh, my demon is a heron and always has been. Amazing. Lovely. What would it be this week? Does she have a name, your heron? Oh, presumably. She's not told me. 
<laughs> um. I love this because sometimes you ask people if they've got a name and they go, I hadn't thought of that. I just thought of an animal. Yeah. And then sometimes people are like, yeah, it's this. Done. Well, <laughs> now, see, I think she's a heron who always... <laughs> She probably stands as far away from me as the magical rope allows. Because <laughs> uh, herons, I always like seeing herons on trains when you're going past a river and yeah. there will be a heron stood there looking really awkward. So just like, <laughs> There's no, I'm just here. I've made these choices and I'm going to stick <laughs> with them <laughs> right now. Sure, sure. I don't need you guys. That's how I feel a lot of the time. Okay. So I'm there. Sat in a river on my boat. <laughs> I like I think the herons probably got her own boat. My knowledge of herons <laughs> is that that's why you have to put a net over your koi pond because also oh, yeah. they're a bloody menace. If our neighbours back in, well, my parents' neighbours back home in the village had had to very diligently put and check a net over their mm. koi pond because a heron would come, an opportunistic heron would just drop by and have off with. Some tasty, tasty fish. <laughs> Some tasty, expensive fish. Yeah, fucking hell. So whether that's a reflection or anything. I do uh, <laughs> regularly e- e- eat people's koi from the pond. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. <laughs> oh my God. That's just called cool. Friday for me. Um, I do have carp in the river around me. Oh I think God. koi are a type of carp. I'm not sure. Yes. I know the goldfish are. Yeah, koi carp is a thing that sounds okay. right. Yes. Yeah. Have you seen... Oh, I need to answer your question. I'm going to say a goldfish. Oh, okay. <laughs> a carp. A goldfish carp. Okay. But have you seen, specifically, online, you can see pictures of giant goldfish, goldfish that have been released into the wild no. and keep growing? Oh, my God, brilliant. They're brilliant. I mean... How big? I mean... Like, there's uh, pictures of, supposedly, the biggest one that's ever been, but presumably it's the biggest one that's ever been caught. Like, oh. properly, a... a man holding it with two arms. You found oh it. my. There it is. Right. <laughs> this one looks very fair. Let me look at this one. They're terrifying. Oh my god. <laughs> but look at these. Look at its mouth. <laughs> we all post a picture of this when we post this interview so that you can all see it. <laughs> my goldfish. It oh my looks god, like if, if a plunger didn't become a stick, but just continued in that vein. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh wow. You learn something new every day. I did not know that wow. was a thing. And that's your demon for the week. Yeah. A giant one. This week I'm a giant goldfish. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, Just swimming around there? the boat. <laughs> Brilliant. Occasionally uh, trying to go and talk to the other carp, and oh no, there goes the rope. <laughs> I watch guess out. I'm back to the rope. Watch out for the heron. Yeah, watch yeah, out for yeah, the heron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. Um, I think that's quite, no, that's quite apt, actually, because I've spent a lot of time sat uh, either writing or trying to write and staring at a screen and then thinking, I should go and have a coffee somewhere, and clearing my head, and then not doing that. So mm-hmm. it's been that kind yeah. of week. That yeah. kind of working from home life. I, mm-hmm. feel, I feel that. I, feel that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I haven't left my... We moved in last weekend and I've left the house a grand total of three times since Excellent. we moved house. <laughs> there comes a point, doesn't there, where your, I don't know, your muscles or whatever just say, what about movement? Do you remember? <laughs> Do you, and like, yes, not movement is nice, but also g- movement's nice. So when you start to get a little bit wild behind the eyes, yeah. when you like actually meet people and you're like, oh, this is it's rather a lot, isn't it? And someone's like, I'm just one person. Yeah. You're, just, you're just ordering a drink. Like, just... Do the thing, and you're like, it's too much. I get a lot of, Felix, you're looking tired. I'm like, but I've slept so much. How can <laughs> I be tired? <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, that worked from okay, home. my life. full ten hours. What have you been working on? We can, we can, it's time to plug some things. I have been working on, uh, you very kindly mentioned uh, my podcasts earlier. The one that I've been working on this week is Quid Pro Euro, which mm-hmm. is a mockumentary podcast about the European Union. Uh, and I put out an episode every month with a very good producer called Zach, who is Canadian and therefore has a detached eye when it comes yeah, to the European sure. Union. Yeah, sure, yeah, that helps. <laughs> I have been listening. I've only just got to, I think I've just done recreation. Ah, great, thank you. Brilliant. I 100% was not what I was expecting when you said you'd done a podcast about the European Union. I was like, oh, can I deal with anything that's even vaguely political right now? I'm not sure. No. I was not expecting what I got. It's brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, uh, if you're unsure because you're like, oh, politics, 
doesn't it doesn't affect you at all. <laughs> you, you've strung together the most obscurely random series of things that is somehow also really delightful. I really love it. Thank you. So you have a second podcast. Yes, a, a well, I share one mm. with. Uh, there's seven of us on the production team, and then uh, we think that somewhere between 100 and 150 people have worked on it. Wow. Uh, wow. Total so far. Uh, the more serious you make, the more you reuse people, and so your impressive number can't really go up that much more. <laughs> it's very annoying. I need to fire everyone and hire some new people. Um, <laughs> just for, for the numbers. Uh, which is a sitcom about uh, funeral directors, and we are putting out our fourth series, it's probably in the summer. Um, but I'm not involved in the writing on that at all. Right. That is written by a genius writer called David K. Barnes and his team of writers. Yes, and you voice Rudyard. Yes, one yes, of the funeral which, directors. Also, of course I have been listening. I enjoyed <laughs> it. I also recommended it to my housemate, who's a big fan of it. He has like all of the CDs of Cabin Pressure. Sure. Um, and he's very much into like a classic like Radio 4 vibe. That's sitcom. us. And it is very, I love I love the, the tone. And yeah, it's Every time podcasting tone. says, not to Radio 4, <laughs> we step in and go, are you sure though? <laughs> This is, There's this one is... thing that we do. It's two Radio Four. Yes. And I was a big fan of um, old Harry's game, so I was very mm-hmm. excited when I heard Andy in, the, in, the, in his little bit part. I he made me a cup of tea. I was so excited. <laughs> he was in the kitchen. He went, "Can I make anyone a cup of tea?" And I went, "Yes, please. I'd love you to make me a cup of tea, Andy Hamilton." Uh, and I forget it if it was the first or second time we had him on, but we had him on just as the news that Mel and Sue were leaving Bake Off was breaking. And then we all kind of swiveled to him because we knew that he'd give us an an intelligent, interesting media take (laughs) on Mel and Sue leaving Bake Off. And I forget what it was, but it was. (laughs) It was a good take, a hot take. take. Before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't asked you that you wanted to talk about within the historic material? Have you got a hot take? Yeah. A hot take. I <laughs> really like the books. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. <laughs> uh, where can people find you on socials? I'm at Phoenix Trench everywhere. And by everywhere, I mean Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> that is everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I have a TikTok account. Do you? I've oh, not, not used it. I've not ventured into that world of TikTok. I know you have a burning question, Faye. <gasps> oh my God, I do. And I almost forgot it. You were on Hollyoaks. I was. And I used to fucking love Hollyoaks. Oh. What was it like being on Hollyoaks? Lovely. Oh. They use, um, so it's all recorded in a converted school oh. just outside Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that school, it's nice. You go from uh, one room, you're in family names, living room, and then you go through the door and you're in the hospital oh, and okay. whatever. And they use the canteen of that school is also the school canteen in the show. Right. So that's where you eat as production crew, ah, and then okay. if they need a scene in the canteen, they just bring all the cameras in and uh, change it around. They have one of those. Do you know what I mean by exciting canteen toast machines? Is oh, it like, the conveyor belt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we all knew exactly what you meant. Got one of those. Do you know what's so interesting that you mentioned that is because I was at work this morning and I went to the canteen to get some toast and they've just put one in and I was like, there's one of those toast machines. It reminds me of being in like a hotel near an airport just before you're about to go like go on holiday or something. I was like, yes. Although you do have to usually put the toast through twice to get it right. to the proper level. Or like one and a half times, like once through, you're like, oh, it's a little bit blonde, isn't it? And then you put it through again and you're like, burned, burned to a crisp. It's like, do you remember that Eddie Izzard segment? He's talking about three toasts. No, that's four toasts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. We keep accidentally leaving the toaster on four because we cook potato waffles in there sometimes. Oh, I've never had a potato waffle. Are they oh. good? They are, they're exceptional. Uh, and you, the best thing is that you can cook them in a toaster if you really can't be bothered mm. to turn the oven on. So, yeah. <laughs> and usually that's like a four toast and then another four toast okay. to get it to like a good level. Wow. Excellent. Well, yeah. we went, that was a That was tangent. a complete tangent away from Hollyoaks. <laughs> <laughs> I, what year were you in Hollyoaks? 2015. I was in the Bonfire Night Special. Excellent. Did somebody die? Uh, yeah, it was... Was it a miscarriage? It was something like that. I feel like I was... I, was it Mercedes? Mercedes. Yes, that name was about... Um, she the, was a very, like... Great character. She's yeah. still in it. Sometimes I, I, used, I used to watch it all the time yeah. when I was 
a um at uni and sometimes if like i'm in at the right time now and like there's nothing that i want to watch i'll like, put it on the background check in and see what everyone's yeah, yeah. up to and like there's still all the stuff like oh. same characters are still she in was it, so but... good like i felt for her because she had the tough job of having to go through that character arc yeah um, of course that and like tough, yeah. just over and over scene after scene after scene of this horrible stuff and i think i remember her saying that they were grouping it all together for her and i don't know if it was for her or if it was by accident but mm. that that was helping right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the cast were really lovely they they were so welcoming of uh, day players like me they mm. literally kind of took me into the canteen and went this is the canteen hello who are you and they sort of didn't need to do that because they're obviously there every day of their lives mm. that's their their day job um, but I, I really appreciated just how talented and welcoming they were. Yeah. Oh, great. Bloody love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just like major day, just like a little bit, because oh, due diligence, you're like, oh, I'm going to get Felix, and I'll just have a look at, look at what else he's done. And I was like, oh my God, he's been on Hollyoaks. <laughs> Starstruck immediately. <laughs> oh my God, what? Hollyoaks. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone listening, because I know we have quite a few listeners in the States, oh, Hollyoaks is like, it's not even a proper, it is a proper British soap, but it's, Set up, it's usually on a little bit earlier in the evening yeah. than like your classic like Eastenders or Coronation Street, and somehow it like perfectly hits the student market because there's a Sunday yeah, omnibus yeah, yeah, yeah. where they play Absolutely. all of them, and so like but it was like, aimed at that. Yeah, yeah, it was aimed it's at sort of like teenage market. Yeah. Also, like after the Simpsons or something, we've definitely mentioned Hollyoaks on the podcast before because I remember specifically mentioning Hollyoaks. Why do I sound like Hollyoaks is the biggest fan? <laughs> I've not watched it since like 2012, but whatever. <laughs> Well, That's the next podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My God, can you imagine? Hollyoaks since 2015. Every episode of Hollyoaks. Jesus. Be there forever. Oh that would be quite the recap. You just have to do an omnibus at a time, otherwise yeah. you'd never get yeah, through it. That's true. <laughs> My friend and I wanted to do Crime Watch Watch. <gasps> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, it's my God. quite difficult to track down past episodes right? of actual crimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that would be so good. Do you, have you currently still got a kickstarter going for quid pro euro or anything like that, that you want oh to? uh i've got a patreon the quid pro euro patreon patreon.com slash quid pro euro extra episode scripts and jokes and you get to be part of the discord uh absolutely lovely thanks thanks so much for yeah thank you for joining us. thank you for having me yeah you have our first official guest book club first guest. and best yeah. ever guest <laughs> we don't need any more now <laughs> <laughs> but yes thank you so much thank you Oh my gosh, that was so nice. Thank you so much, Felix, for coming to talk to us for our little book club. That was super fun. Yay, yes. Thank you so much for being our first ever book club guest. Hopefully we'll have some more soon. We have got some people in mind, so bear with us. Definitely. And when they come up, we will be announcing them so that you can email in your questions. Absolutely. If you want to find Felix elsewhere on the internet, as I think you mentioned in the interview, he is at Felix Trench on Twitter and most other places and his podcasts are Wooden Overcoats where he voices Rudyard and Quid Pro Euro which are both definitely great and worth a listen. Yes, go listen, go listen. Thanks so much for listening to this special book club episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. This episode has gone up a little bit earlier for our patrons. And if you want to become a patron, you can at patreon.com forward slash HDMPod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find us. And you can also tell a friend if you want to. Yes, please recommend us to a friend. And recommend the books to a friend. Yes. Damn good. Yes. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.